Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid. So scared to do what I wanted In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made And I wish that I could talk to me And tell me I can change Don't be afraid Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is August, is it August 5th, 2015, and I am really excited to have Rachel Bernstein on. Rachel is an educator and a marriage and family child therapist. She has a private practice in Encino, California. While continually meeting with clients who present a variety of concerns and issues, Rachel has simultaneously been working for the past 24 years with people affected by cults. Rachel Bernstein has been the coordinator and psychotherapist at the Cult Clinic of Los Angeles, now closed, and the therapist and community education coordinator at the Cult Hotline and the Clinic of Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services in New York. She has trained former cult members and families who have lost a loved one to a cult to go out and speak about their experiences. She has run support groups for former cult members and groups for the loved ones of current cult members. Rachel is on the clinical board of the International Cultic Studies Association, is an editorial advisor for the Cultic Studies Journal, and a clinical member of the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. Rachel has spoken at many cult-related and human rights conferences and has been interviewed in newspapers, magazines, on local radio, as well as the BBC News and Japanese radio. Rachel has appeared on ABC News, CBS News, NBC News, Dateline, NBC, Fox News, CBC News in Canada. She most recently appeared on the National Geographic Channel and on Larry King Live. In April of 2008, Rachel was asked by the Family Protective Services of Austin, Texas, to help with the children who had been taken from the yearning for a Zion polygamous compound. She offered techniques to help the caseworkers more successfully engage with these children 
and help them learn that they don't have to be afraid of the world outside the compound. And with, uh, without any further delay, I'm going to bring Rachel on. There we go. Hi, Rachel. You are live on Block Talk Radio. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're really, really happy to have you. So, um, I'm really excited to have you on, and uh, thank you to Michelle for introducing me to you. And I thought that we would start with, uh, you're a local person, you're here in L.A., and that you're you're working currently with people, so if anybody hears this radio show, let's start off with how they could reach you. Yes, good idea. I am working in L.A., although I talk to people all over the world. I do uh, sessions in person in my office, uh, and they can always reach me on my office line. Uh, and I can give that out, 818-907-0036, or reach me uh, through my website, rachelbernsteintherapy.com, uh, or even my email, um, rbpsychology at gmail.com. I also do work with Stephen Hassan through Freedom of Mind that's out of Boston. So you can reach me at rachel at freedomofmind.com. Lots of ways to reach me. Wow, great. So I think we'll do maybe some little commercials in between. We'll stop. And so if somebody's listening in, um, we might do it. It's another break where I'll introduce you and we'll give out that phone number. Um, I'm going to write it down really quick so I can do it for you. So it's 818-907-0036. Okay, great. All right, Rachel, um, can we just start with telling me a little bit about yourself, your background that brought you into this work? Sure. Uh, I was raised in a family of uh, of activists, people who cared about uh, wanting the world to somehow make more sense and be an easier place to live. Um, and uh, a family member of mine got sucked into Scientology, and it actually really oh. was this watershed moment in our family um, because while I was raised, you know, with dinner table conversation being about um, civil rights, human rights, etc. We didn't know about this thing called a cult, and right. suddenly we did. Um, and it really set us on this road of wanting to find out more about it to be able to protect our loved one, but also do some education and prevention out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, now you have two degrees, right? You were, you're a... Marriage and family. Yes. Right. I uh, I have two degrees. I have uh, teaching credentials in uh, general and special ed, and then am a licensed marriage and family therapist. So I have both those under my belt, and I use a lot of the teaching actually in in the work that I do. And something else that is an interesting link, I think, is being someone who works with people who have different ways of learning or have special needs, you realize that you can't just impose your way of doing things onto your student or onto your client. You really want to meet that person and see what works best for them and not have them have to fit into your rubric of how it should be done, and if it doesn't work, they're doing it wrong. That's also a way that I am differentiating my services from what happens in a cult. Yeah, one of the things that I, I really liked 
and I mean, I don't think I'm going to be able to rephrase it the way you said it when we talked when I was in San Antonio, but it was the wording. And mm. part of this was when I left AA and I interviewed everybody from, you know, Tom Horvath and Mark, Dr. Kern and uh, Dr. Jaffe and the head of SMART and the head of harm reduction. They actually spoke a different language than I had heard in AA and very brainwashed by, right? And even mm. what you just said is that, you know, my way is going to be, you're going to have to do it my way. Um, And we've talked about this. So uh, we have a lot of people, I mean, I even started a group called Deprogramming from AA and any other 12-step group. Mm. Uh, But, you know, I guess before we get into that, um, can we maybe talk about what are those checklists that make something a cult? Okay, sure. It's actually a question I get asked a lot. Um, And one of the things that I find is... um, very, very important, is if you have to give unquestioning loyalty and uh, follow in an unquestioning way the teachings of the group uh, and the words of the leader, whoever the leader is or the leader is that day. Um, And that if you do question it, then you are behaving in a very poor manner, according to the group, as opposed to you just really wanting to find out the information you need in order to make a fully educated decision about mm. trusting this group and, and getting more involved. Um, the other part is that it is delivered to you as something perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, we, are, you know, we are a group that offers something that is perfect and unchanging. There's no need to change it because it's perfect. And mm-hmm. so if it doesn't work, it's because you didn't follow it correctly. Mm-hmm. So here's the, here's the formula, and A plus B equals C. If you didn't get to C, mm, it's because you didn't go to enough meetings, or you, in some you know religious groups, it's because you weren't feeling it in your heart when you were going through the theology, or whatever it is, it's always you. The other part is that there's deception. That sometimes mm-hmm. the the thing you got involved into the group to be able to conquer, to get help with, et cetera, is really not necessarily the goal of the group uh, or the goal of it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And it really has shifted and morphed into something else, but they don't tell you that. They don't mm-hmm. tell you that really you're going to wind up maybe having the opposite effect that you went in to get if you're going in to be able to have more freedom in your life, but really what it's engendering is more dependency. You're not told yeah. ahead of time. Or you're going in to get more strength, but really at the end of each meeting or at the end of each weekend, if it's that kind of a group, you uh-huh. actually feel weaker um, uh-huh. a- because they need you to feel weak so that you need them. Uh-huh. And so you really, and, and you're kept also from talking to people who have had bad experiences. You're kept from accessing information on the Internet. People who ha- speak out against it are discredited so that uh-huh. you shouldn't listen to them anymore because if you can discredit the source of the information, you discredit the information. Um, and so people are really kept from, again, being able to have their eyes open. Wow, it sounds like you're just talking about AA. Um, one of the things, I know you have a long, another list, I'm sure, of more of this, but I want to jump in with this part of deception because I really relate, um, not necessarily the goal of the group. So I quit drinking on my own, and then I met a guy on the beach, and I wanted to go because I just wanted to hang around with other young people who didn't drink. 
Mm-hmm. So I was, they were really, back in the 70s, they really played the game of take what you like or leave it, go when you want to go. Like it wasn't hardcore, at least in, in Hawaii. I, it was probably hardcore here, but it was not in Hawaii. So like how many meetings should I go to? Oh, as many as you want to. But at seven months in, I started to, and I worked all the steps except the first part of the first step. And I said, no, I, I can't. I started to hear this language that you got to get that first step, you got to meet your powerless, or you can't right. get the whole program. And I said, whoa, whoa. And I'm like 18. Mm-hmm. And I said, wait a second. I thought you said that uh, I could take what I like and leave the rest. I quit on my own. And now I'm here and I'm sober. And I like being sober. So why do I have to? We want me to make it up and lie about it. And that was when I began to go down, like spiral downward that went on then for another two years and get worse. And then they said, well, you have to get worse before it gets better. And I was like, what? Like, wait a second. Like, I'm, you know, I mean, the goal in AA is to be sober. I was sober. And so I would think people, if it was really just a good support group, you would say, hey, get on with your life, girl. Look, you're doing great. Mm -hmm. You know, you you Mm -hmm. seem to be, like, really happy and you're glowing and you're not even tempted. Go live your life. But that's Mm -hmm. not what happened. And then that yes. was where I really got hooked in. So, um, yeah, I think, wow. Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned so many things that are that continue on with this list of really what makes something a cult, or really what makes something into a potentially destructive group or a potentially destructive relationship. I mean, these also, you know, apply one on one. You talked about a shift in language that there is AA speak, just like there's speak of different groups, which, mm-hmm. which goes to this notion that somehow if we speak the same language, we truly understand each other. And those outside the group who don't speak the language don't understand. And I can't then be as connected to them um, because we're not really uh, of a, this sort of higher mind understanding. The other part is that there's no end. You don't graduate. You right. go to the right. next phase, you mm-hmm. get your chip, you do whatever it is in the different groups, but there's no end. Why is there no end? In, mm-hmm. in a uni- at a university, uh, in therapy, yeah. you know, you say, I, well, let's take what you've gotten from this and see how you do out there in the world, and I wish you the best of luck. Mm-hmm. Um, call me if you need me, but hopefully you won't. Because I, as a therapist, I don't need for people to need me. <laughs> I want them to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other part is fear. There's a lot of fear induction in unhealthy groups and also unhealthy relationships. Mm-hmm. You are not able to handle your life without this. Um, <laughs> don't take that risk. And, uh, and also there's fear in the group. There's intimidation. There's bullying. Mm-hmm. So you're not quite sure where to go, what, what place is safer for you. But really you've, you've grown to develop the sense that you can't trust yourself, which is the most damaging of all. Right. Yeah, I think that is um, the fear in also unhealthy groups, uh, like even the wording where you're saying that, because, the, well, the intimidation and the bullying, uh, the bullying is why I see a lot of men leaving, um, mm. but it's really weird because I get these PM messages on Facebook from grown women. You know, mm-hmm. they're successful. They've, they've, they're educated. Uh, they have mm-hmm. children. And they privately are telling me, you know, they're afraid if they leave and, you know, what's going to happen. It's like, um, they, and they're talking to me about all this predation going on and the sick stuff they've seen. 
And I'm just like, wow, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, continue that dialogue with them, but that's why I, I'm so, I feel like I was supposed to meet Michelle. You know, people have mm. been asking me for years. I think I even reached out to the person that um, is going to be speaking at the Steve Allen Theater um, this Saturday. Oh, Who is that again? Steve Hatton, the man I work with. Who's yeah, he's of, really famous. And I, I, might have, I might have reached out to him, but, you know, I think he's across the across the pond, but he's across the United States, and maybe <laughs> I just tried once and gave up. But I think that this is a thing that I certainly deprogram myself, but I do think that there's people who, you know, they didn't make a film about it, so they weren't living it kind of like 24-7. And I did read every kind of non-12-step uh, like re- book about that dealt with alcohol and drug overuse issues and mm-hmm. started filling my brain with lots of stuff. But I also didn't believe I was going to not be okay when I left. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm, I already knew even, I knew I'd be fine. And I knew mm-hmm. that I it was really bad, and maybe it was because of how far deep I got with the GSR work trying to make it safer that I saw how nuts they were. Like, yeah. it really became apparent. Um, all right, so I, you have lots of other things. What are some of the other cult traits that you've seen in, in any cult uh, or any, you know, any unhealthy group? Well, what I've noticed uh, is that sometimes... Um, there is a lot of social psychology at play within these kinds of groups that are potentially hazardous, where <laughs> you have uh, uh, I feel like there should be orange cones around some of these buildings um, uh, where you have um, not only a person who is in a leadership position either permanently or temporarily um, who it, who can be intimidating who can who can kind of re, be re-victimizing, and I, I want to be able to talk about that and how that makes people kind of toe the line. Um, but you also have the social psychology piece, and that means that for all these years that I've been doing this, there are a lot of people who have stayed participating in a particular group because they knew that the pe- other people in the group were watching them and we're going to tell on them, and it wasn't safe. And wow. so they didn't have actual friends and safe alliances in the group, so they had to kind of pretend to go along, and they also didn't want to get the crap, pardon the expression, for not coming back. They knew they were going to get a barrage of calls. They just didn't want the pressure. So they, the social psychology piece kept them in check, but also if they saw other people nodding their head in agreement with what the leader was saying, they felt they had to do the same, because all eyes would be on them if they didn't. So there's so much of that kind of multi-layered pressure and um, need for conformity within the wow. group that exists that also keeps people in. You you kind of lose yourself in a group like yep. this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part, though, is that there is this sort of mm, this guise of responsibility and that it has some sort of scientific basis and that <laughs> and right and that it has also the well. air of it being this place that you can trust you know a lot of groups mm-hmm. meet uh in churches mm-hmm. and a lot of groups meet you know on or near college campuses or counseling centers, hospitals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what that does is that lulls people into passively trusting an organization based upon 
the location of it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and also just based upon how long it's been around. Mm-hmm. When, when therapists refer their patients to AA or other groups like it, it's not because they've done their research. It's just because they've heard of it. Mm-hmm. And they don't know of other choices. And they want, out of the goodness of their heart, they want to provide their client with other resources. They just don't know where else to send them. But, you know, just because something's been around for a long time doesn't mean that it's good or the best or a true form of help. It, longevity does not equal value. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And But I think that some groups are very good at managing their PR and keeping their critics quiet. So that's the other thing to watch out for. Um, when you are looking for information about a particular group, you don't just talk to people who are leaders in that group. You really have to do your research. And so another big sign, a big red flag of a cult is when they tell you to not do that research. You know, Yeah, when they try to shut you down. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, Lord, like, I mean, I think Scientology, you know, well, I guess comparing the two, we, we could talk a whole other time about that, so I guess I won't. I want to just, again, say I'm talking to Rachel Bernstein, and she is um, a LMFT and an MSD, and she is a cult deprogramming specialist. The number to reach her would be at 818-907-0036 if you would like some specific help with deprogramming. That was just my 15 minutes in. I want to just really give them, uh, tell them who I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's, the, part of what you just talked about, the guise of um, the scientific thing. So I'm making the movie, and I'm pulling out archival footage because I really wanted, there's such great footage from the 30s in black and white. You know, mm-hmm. it's part, that mm-hmm. makes a better film, makes it more interesting. And there's this Marty Mann footage that I had seen, I don't know, maybe... 30 times or 50 times. And the first time I see it, so we're final in the final edit, and I notice that Marty talks, and she's, she spoke all around the country at um, those Rotary Clubs. So she was a mass, she was a professional PR person that hooked mm-hmm. up with Bill Wilson. But anyway, mm-hmm. so back to this. So it says, so, and I, it's in the movie, and so Marty says, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. And then, then it says, it flashes on the screen, a new scientific approach. Mm-hmm. And I like burst into laughter yeah. and I said, Wow, that's really interesting. Never mm-hmm. noticed that before. But they all everyone else sees one thing, it is another thing. It's not a scientific approach. It was never a scientific approach mm-hmm. and yet that's what they sold it as and that's nuts. And they also sell it at, well let's stop there, because that's a big mouthful. Um, I think that's really important what you brought up, the guise of, you know, pretending it's responsible and scientific of basis. Right. And so, you know, while I, I'm i not saying this group is a cult from start to finish, just like right. other groups are cults from start to finish, what I'm saying is that it has right. a propensity to be damaging to certain people, I think also because of who's leading that particular group, that particular meeting, and also what you're coming to the meeting with, your history, your sensitivities, your psychological history. And and so where it is contrary to good science is that it's the same pill for everyone. 
that's mm-hmm. never good science. Mm. And so it would be horrible if uh, you went to a doctor and they handed out the same prescription to everyone no matter what your issue was. Mm. Because there are a lot of reasons people drink and there are a lot of reasons people stop and there are a lot of reasons people stop and then start again. Everybody's different. And mm. so everyone really needs to be able to be treated respectfully in those differences and not be told that if you don't get better from taking this pill, again, there's something that you're doing wrong. That just adds to this feeling of not being in control of your life, not being capable in your life. It adds to, sometimes for some people, great feelings of depression, mm-hmm. um, which is it, within groups that are not healthy, isn't, they don't take responsibility for what they're creating, the damage they're causing in the people mm-hmm. who have come to them for help. And so yep. that's where I, I think it's important for people really to check in with themselves and to see, is this something that's helping me? To know what questions to ask themselves. And that's something we could certainly talk about. One of the things that we talked about the other day uh, was you talked about a leader. And, mm-hmm. that, and the, it's unregulated. Like, and there's no... There's no bar of like, you know, if this guy is leading, then this is going to be the, the meeting will have this type of flavor, and how toxic the meeting may or may not be will depend on. Can you t- do you remember what we t- talked about? Yeah, today? right. So it is, it's an unregulated field. So <clears throat> very similar to some people who will just call themselves coaches. You know, you can call yourself that, but what does that mean? And can you trust that person? Have they received a certain degree? And even with some people who have, I mean, as an aside, I have worked with people who um, come to me after having been to see a licensed doctor, a licensed therapist, and need help actually coming off that experience, um, doing sort of exit counseling from that experience because that person who was the licensed professional, needed for them to be dependent on them. So well, sometimes it doesn't even, sometimes it doesn't matter if you have your license or not. It depends on your experience. But yeah. sometimes the leaders within groups like this, because it's not regulated and because there isn't really a system of checks and balances, unfortunately, you have some people who are leading meetings who really are bullies, and and need the power like the power now again because I'm a I'm a therapist I see it in a psychological way so sometimes people leading these meetings have not felt through no fault of their own but they haven't felt like they've had power or control in their lives or they haven't been given the respect that they needed um, in order to feel really good about themselves and the way they get their needs met and the way they feel powerful is by intimidating, by being louder than, by being in your face, um, by taking away your power so that they can feel powerful. And that's where a lot of damage certainly can be done. You also have people who feel that it really was helpful to them. So out Mm -hmm. of the goodness of their heart and very innocently, because they're true believers, they, they hand the same pill they received onto all these other people. Mm-hmm. Um, not knowing really how to tell if it's um, helping one person but poisoning another. And so yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Right? So you have this system that really is, again, one where it's, mm, it's a gift for some and a minefield for others. I have a woman who found me on Facebook who was 15 when she started to be groomed by these, if one was 35 and the other man was 50, uh, doing sexual, um, I don't know what to call it, I think it's sexual assault, sexual battery, um, mm. child molesting because of her age. But anyway, it went on for a while. She was in AA for 23 years. She's in the South, and she I don't know if she's listening. I bet she'll, she'll listen eventually. But um, she's been gone for three years and said she just started to deprogram. And she's like, mm. I can't believe how deep this thinking is. She sees, you know, uh, and she actually, oh, this is the part that I was wanted to say to you. Three mm. therapists she's been to, and they all tell her, well, you should just go to AA um, and, tell, and say you're a... Uh, uh, a victim of uh, of assault, like that you're a, a tra- traumatic, like you've had trauma. Why would you send somebody to AA for that? Right, like, right. This is what I'm shocked. I'm really so. She's going to hear about you. She already, I think, I told her um, about you. But this is the kind of thing. Would you do another show where we could have call-ins? I would love it. I would love it. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to be able to, you know, share what I know and offer some support or guidance in any way I can. Sure. Yeah, it would be really great. Again, we're talking to Rachel Bernstein, and she is a therapist and a cult deprogrammer. Um, I find it interesting um, on the subject of uh, what happened in Texas with the Zion polygamist, because Mm -hmm. I remember when I was watching Big Love, uh, I was on my way out of AA, and I was obsessed with Big Love, and I would sit Mm -hmm. there like from 2009, 2010, and I guess I must have been in like the early part of 2010. I'm like sitting there. I said, Kevin, oh, my God, we're in a cult. <laughs> I'm elating like from, and I know this is an, ex- it's extreme, you know, um, that yeah. there are, you know, tendencies to call it, like it would be easy for me to call a Scientology cult, like things that are cults. And when people took the, you know, um, the, the they drank all the, the Kool-Aid or that stuff and they all killed themselves with the guy, uh, mm-hmm. You know these really outrageous stories, but there are so many cult-like, uh, you know, chanting and that didn't used to exist in AA, but they've actually existed for a long time. Many of them have been around 30, 30 40 years. But that, uh, do you want to tell us about you know how you helped or what are some of the other um, people that you've helped? Sure, sure. Um, I. I found that when I was in Texas, I mean, there's a lot that I'm not at, at liberty to to discuss, but what I do want to say is that um, it was very evident that the that these people had really been kept from having information that could serve to really help them feel strong and capable in the world. Um, mm-hmm. They were made to feel very scared of the world outside and very scared of themselves that as soon as they left the the gates of the compound that they would do something sinful from start to finish. Um, the people that I've met, the boys who were kicked out, the lost boys, I mean, it's a tragic story there, but they're, you know, nice, nice people, these women, nice kids, nice. Uh, and 
good, by and large, really good and really um, have yeah. a sense of wanting things to be good in their lives and are not going to turn to, as they would see it, sin right away, but have made to feel feel scared of themselves. Um, and that they've also been kept from having any negative thoughts. So if they have... Um, a negative thought about the leader, that's a sin. If they question or doubt the leader, that's a sin. Mm. They can't have their critical thinking. The other thing that's, that was fascinating for me to learn about was that the kids in this group, not unlike some of the other groups I've dealt with, were punished for dreaming and imagining. And that was fascinating oh. to me because I learned about the power of the individual. When Your dreams and the things that you imagine are really part of who you are, and they don't conform to other people's dreams and things that they imagine necessarily. But right. when these kids were given things to do that they had never been uh, able to do before, they couldn't play, they, they, we handed them crayons and some of them put them in their mouths thinking it was food. Um, wow. We asked them to just draw a picture. They all drew the same picture. They drew a picture of the leader. Wow. They were told to not have their own idea about what was going on in their own minds. So that's why I really um, stress people being able to get back into how they feel. What's your thought about this? What do you wish? What did you want before you got involved in this group? What were you hoping for? Uh-huh. Um, what were you feeling capable of? What did you want to get help for? Not, Don't go by how this group has told you you are or how this group has diagnosed you. Um, the other part that really gets me, I think, is that sometimes within cultic groups, the followers are given a sense of their value, and their value is based upon their usefulness to the cult. Mm. If they Uh can bring in money, if they can do PR, if they can be used as free labor, if they can be used to recruit others because they really come across well, then Uh they move up the ranks of the group, but not because they're better people. Uh Um, And that's also very, you know, um, trippy, to say the least. Well, that's really big in, I think, AA and Hollywood, um, people in the Mm. music business, people who are famous, who feel really comfortable about, you know, being on Oprah and talking about, you know, being sober and using the 12 steps. You know, they may not say AA, but we all know when they say, you know, you're clean and sober or I'm sober, unless you clarify it. Like I I saw an interview with Al Pacino where he went, no, 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 I'm not like, you know, I don't do that. You know, I guess Mm -hmm. he said there was a period, I don't know if he still is, but that he didn't drink, but that he definitely wasn't um, uh, in AA or something Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, which mm-hmm. was nice to see. But I think that the um, the value, so being of service, like, you know, if you get to be, uh, I mean, I've seen people who were PR people who come and came to, ge- say, a general service meeting, and they sat at the P&I table, and they were like, well, I'm a, you know, I am a real PR person. I can help here. What do you need done? I mean, mm-hmm. I actually heard, in, you know, somebody say that. And then it was, you know, for them to go into schools, you know, and try to, you know, pitch uh, young people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it's it's really quite bad. But I think that what's also sad is when I see people leave and they're in this deprogramming group or they're on my blog, it's like, well, what do I do now? And that's yeah. more with older people who stayed too long or who mm-hmm. went there in their twenties, late 20s or 30s or 40s 
and they stayed for 20 years, and now they're in their late 50s or 60s. What do yeah. I do with myself? Are people feeling addicted to being the same place in the same time? And I mean, I think, I think, I don't know, God or whoever that, I mean, I had a sponsor in the 70s who said, don't go to more than three meetings a week. It's not healthy. Wow. Like nobody. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, in the, yeah, she was a really old lady. So she was around in the early days when, first of all, there was one meeting a week and it was in his house. And they, mm-hmm. they screened who came, and they didn't let anybody, everybody in in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it, it was very, very small, uh, you know, um, society, very, very small. And I really hate when people say, well, it's been out 80 years. You know, it was really small for the first 40, you know. It didn't grow until the 60s. It was still, it was actually being attacked. It was, there were some articles where it called it a cult. It was the mid-70s when we had Dick Van Dyke and someone else and a couple of senators held a press mm-hmm. conference that was national and said, I'm sober, I'm in AA, this is great. And that's, you know, began, and then the, the stuff down that road. But the value, the value based on usefulness to the group, mm-hmm. my goodness, I mean, I wrote it down. I think that um, is really people who never felt like a part of or people who never felt value, uh, that this is a really huge part of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I even remember saying to somebody, oh, well, the reason that, you know, now I'm like so embarrassed about this, but, we said, well, we can't figure out why you never could, you know, you know, really stay, stayed. Well, she didn't want to. We wanted to. It's really easy to not drink when you've had enough and you don't want to drink. Yeah. But in right. A, it works uh, for it's true. Right. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't you know, work for... Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, sorry. I didn't mean to no, talk go. over you there. I, I, I'm just going back to something that we were talking about before, about the the social psychology piece and you're mentioning the community and and people saying that you should you know either come more often or not come as often and comparing one member to another member and how they're doing i think sometimes people will uh encourage other people to come as often as they do or be as committed to it because they themselves don't want to have this cognitive dissonance they don't want to have that moment where a person who they really respect in the group is leaving because they don't need it anymore. Because what will that mean for them? If they have devoted all this time, if they have devoted many years, or they've already gotten other people in, how will that make them feel? So sometimes people get encouraged to stay because the person encouraging them needs for them to stay so yeah. that they don't have to have that internal conflict. There are a lot of reasons people encourage you to do what they yeah. encourage you to do, and they will make it in the form of that it's for your benefit, but not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I think uh, it's so true. I mean, there's so many things just like swimming through my mind that um, I could jump in, but I don't really want to. I can do it another time when you're on again. Let's talk about somebody comes to you, like, um, you know, from AA, and they've gone for 20 years or more, and they are pretty brainwashed, and they're afraid that, uh, oh, here's a big one, because a lot of us leave and are imbibing again easily, okay? So mm-hmm. the, the, those of us that went really young, and I think that it's really up to a person if they want to imbibe again, they're mm-hmm. able to, they, they stopped when they were really young, absent for many years, um, mm-hmm. or or they're even not thinking about imbibing, but they're afraid of leaving because what? I mean, they're actually told you will go to inst- die institutions or go insane. Like, that's what's repeated at every meeting. That if you mm-hmm. leave, this is what will happen to you. Yeah. And these some of these people go to meetings every day. I mean, I didn't, but 
you know. Um, so I know that you've worked with so many people. Are there some basic kind of um, suggestions, or what would you say to um, some of these things? I think, first of all, you know, you have this this problem built into some groups where there's this false dilemma. You're made to feel afraid of leaving, but you also get the sense that staying in is hurting you, and you're not quite sure what to do. Um, and there are plenty of people also who who have been abused or were yelled at when they were young, who sometimes just keep going back to meetings to appease the person there who is intimidating them or seems to have some sort of power over them, rather than really to conquer um, or to get control over the alcohol. So it depends why you're going, and I think it's important to assess that. Um, What I think is also important is I would say to someone, okay, do you feel like you really gave this a shot? Uh, this group, whatever it is, do you feel like it, I'll be specific now with AA, do you feel like you gave it a real chance? With the things that were valuable to you, of the steps that really meant something to you, um, that spoke to your heart, did you follow them? Do you feel like you you really gave it a chance? Because sometimes when people feel they don't, they'll say, yeah, well, yeah, I really, I didn't. So let me let me give it a go again. And if someone says, yeah, I did, or I started to, but then it just became too difficult um, for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. I would then ask, in either situation, is your life better because of this group? Or is it worse? Now, it depends how you define better or worse, but the way I would define worse is are you still unhappy? Um, Do you still feel to a certain degree out of control that you can't trust yourself? Do you now have dependency? Did you shift one dependency for another, you know, from the Uh alcohol to this group? Um, um, Have you had to endure being yelled at or liberally diagnosed or misdiagnosed? Have you been met with resistance or criticism when you've expressed a very strong and clear interest in taking a break and seeing how you do on your own? Um, Ask yourself those things. Sort of keep a checklist of what would make something healthy or an unhealthy group for you. Um, If you can really say, yeah, you know, I actually think that I was able to stop drinking. I don't really trust that I'm going to stay on it. I would encourage a person to understand why that is. What else is going on? What else do they need to somehow fix or conquer? What relationships do they need to disengage from? Um, And also how to surround themselves with people who really support their strengths, um, who really want them to get from point A to point B, are not going to hold them back, are not going to make them feel small or weak. Um, but also some people really need to get help, actual help for the experiences they had when they were younger that also potentially caused them to drink, and also some of the experiences they had in the group that were re-traumatizing that made them feel hopeless that things are ever going to feel different in their lives. Um, 
And I think yeah. the last part is that for people to really disengage, they really do have to shift who they're in contact with. They have to not pick up the phone when people from the group keep trying to call. And they have to shift their language to go back to the language they used before, yep. the non-group language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, I think the biggest thing when I'm around people who are ex-steppers, um, I'm not around hardly ever anymore people that are in it still um, in their language or their need if they have 20 some of them have 20 years some of them have 38 years that they need to talk about certain things to engage about the program Mm -hmm. meetings while they're with you they can't just keep everything about our lives in the world and then I'll notice even people who have left um, that they'll say things like you know well you know how we are and I'm like wow no like that one I never even bought anyway because once again, which is maybe why I got sucked in for so long, because then the other sponsor that I had way back when, the Hawaiian woman, she was like, we are, what does that mean? Like, that's mm-hmm. horseshit. Like, she was, re- <laughs> I mean, these people were, she's like, you're not lazy because you're an alcoholic in AA or sober. You're lazy because you're lazy. Like, why are you putting on, attaching these character traits to being, you know, alcoholic, and I'll only use that word because I'm speaking what an AA member would say, but you know what I mean? It's like this, well, you know, they have an alcoholic personality. It's like, ah, no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. It's like no such thing. Um, but I want to talk about this. So uh, I, I, I flashed on this really recently, uh, I think I was when I was down in San Antonio, about the two things. One, the family can't help family which is utter not only we in Alcoholics Anonymous mm-hmm. can help the other alcoholic, the wife can't. I mean, that is really, I was so brainwashed that me and my sister, who, you know, sorry for me that I sent and her, that I brought her with me to a meeting. But um, she and I got up from, you know, Christmas dinner with my father and his new wife in Hawaii, and they're like, where are you going? We're like, oh, we're going to a meeting. They're like, what? You're going to a meeting? On like Christmas mm. Day or Christmas, yeah, we got to go to a meeting because we said, you know, it's the most important thing in your life. It comes before a family, before, like, wow. Right. Oh, that's bad. That's like really bad. Yeah. Yeah. So to jump in with that, when you hear family can't help family, there are a lot of families listening to that who are going to rightfully say, how dare they? How dare they break? this person I love or this person who I raised or this person who I married, off from me. I'm not the culprit here necessarily. I'm not the one who they need to disengage from. I'm not the one who they should not trust anymore, listen to anymore. It is actually, again, the same pill for everyone. Yes, there are some people who within their family system. It is the family that triggered that need for lulling a lot of the feelings they were having um, through alcohol. Yeah, that does happen. But does that happen in every family? No. Does that even happen in most families? No, it does happen in some. But it doesn't mean everyone should disengage and from their family and not be able to see their family as a resource. Sometimes parents and sometimes husbands, wives, children, they're... They're hoping, they're hoping for this person to lean on them in the way that they lean on AA. But they're taught not to do that. So here you were with your family having a lovely time, and instead of that being able to continue, you ended it not because that was your idea, but because you were following what AA said, because, again, they figured that's what's best for these people who are in AA. But it wasn't best for you in that moment. 
And so yeah. I think it's very important to to really look at that. I have a lot of clients who will say that one of the ways they got further involved in their cultic group was by being made to feel that their history was bad up until they reached the point where they were lucky enough to get engaged in this particular group. And sometimes groups will rewrite your history so that you think it was bad and that your family doesn't really like you. They'll reinterpret a lot of the things that you that you went through as proof. Right. Um, and that's really robbing you of having a family that potentially cares and loves you and wants to help. It's also robbing your family. It's really wrong. Yeah, it's so funny. I Well, it wasn't funny, but I was at a restaurant with a group of people, and my husband invited someone else, and he brought somebody else, and that person brought – we didn't know. It was like really wasn't supposed to all, the, all these people showing up. It was like sometime last year. And this woman came and sat down, and she had you know, worked at like a big – in a talent agency and was kind of full of herself and was telling me about, oh, that she's, you know, learning this spiritual psychology, you know, and I said, where? And so she mm-hmm. told me where, and I said, oh, and I knew that it was a cult. It's in Santa Monica. And so mm-hmm. because of someone else I had become friends with, and so we said, well, what's you, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm making a film, you know, I'm finishing up, and what's it about? Mm-hmm. And so I said, oh, it's about AA and, you know, exposing predatory behavior, and she said, and then we started to talk, and she said, well, it's not. I talked about court ordering and how it's in violation of the First Amendment rights because it's so religious. And, no, it's not. And I said, whoa, wait a second. I said, yeah, it is. Like, it's not me. It's the courts. It's been deemed highly religious in the courts. And by mm-hmm. then I had been counting the how many gods were in the book. And, you know, I mean, it was like I was really picking a mm-hmm. apart. And it's like, well, it's like close to 500 times. Yeah, but it's spiritual. It's not religious. And I was like, yeah, no, if you get a dictionary out, it's going to say that, it's spiritual, you know, it winds up being religious in the description, in the dictionary, no matter whether it's, you know, 1935 dictionaries we got a hold of, I bought those, and 1940 dictionaries, and the ones from the 80s, on and on. And she got so, like, she couldn't believe what I was saying to her. Like, how dare you? And I was just like, no, like, I, you know what? I took their shit for, like, 30 years, and I'm not yeah. ever going to listen to that bullshit. I don't care where I am. Someone starts with this crap in Los Angeles, which is filled with cults and spiritual this. Oh, it's spiritual. Really? <laughs> it's called a religion. Right. Right? right? No, you're not. And no, you're not right. And, the, and you're not above what the, you know, the courts have deemed in 35 states because you're in a cult in Santa Monica. And I was just like, wow. Well, that was interesting. <laughs> yes, it is. And by the way, I know exactly the group that you're talking about. But I also, I, I've had former uh, clients and students of that group. But <clears throat> I think it's so powerful to have you tell that story because you could see also how it was making her angry. Yeah. And I've noticed that when you question groups that are not necessarily healthy, they cannot handle it, and they come back at you with a personal criticism about you. Um, they feel ultimately offended and attacked, and treat you. It, you feel like suddenly you're speaking to some unruly teenager. <laughs> and I say that <laughs> as a mom, luckily not having unruly teenagers, but I've seen, you know, right. and. And you think, wow, I thought I was just talking to an adult, but I don't feel like I am right now. 
And I don't feel like I'm talking to someone who's professional because she's making it personal and she's attacking and she's getting in my face. Why is it that they're so defensive? And when you're noticing that kind of reaction, I think it's because it's triggering something very personal for them because this has become their life. And a group should not become your life. Mm-hmm. It should be something that adds to your life, that helps guide you in your life, but it's not your life. And yep. that's when you also have a sign, something's off. It's similar to questioning a person who wants to have control over another person. If you try to take that control away, they will attack you because you're taking away something that they need to live, that mm-hmm. they need to feel okay and be able to breathe in their lives and feel like they're existing. Um it shouldn't be that way. You should be able to have a calm and rational discussion about this. Um, I haven't found that. Yeah, I, I think it's like you could say, well, I'm pretty spiritual, but I'm going to like bite your head off. You know, I mean, if they're so spiritual, like they just turn into like really nasty wenches. You know what I'm saying? And it's kind of uh, um, the other thing that kind of comes into my head a lot, and I guess. Once I do more media, because I feel like I'm, you know, preparing and preparing to finally talk to media, we need national media to have this conversation because it's actually been repressed. And if you don't know this, and if you're listening, most people do know this, that Alcoholics Anonymous has sent out 5,000 letters a year to the press to get them to not talk about their members who act badly. They don't want, you know, this is their PR campaign that they've used. And so there's a lot of media that, but it's it's not going to, you know, it's it's going to come out. But I compare it to the church, and I think I was walking with Darlene in San Antonio, and it was like, you know, I was a Catholic, and but you go once a week, you know, and nobody's trying to sell me. If you don't come here once a week, you're going to die. You're going to, mm-hmm. like, even in, I mean, I'm 50-something, you know. I went when I still, we still did it in Latin, and then we stopped doing in Latin, and then we wore white gloves, and then, you know, I mean, it evolved. And mm-hmm. even there, like, you had, they had to address pedophilia. You know, the Catholic Church, I mean, but A is worse. Like, I didn't go to church three or four times a week. I didn't go to 90 masses. I mean, you know, maybe Lent, I went once in fourth grade. I really got into it. But, you know, besides that, I mean, you don't get brainwashed by a real... I guess would you say uh, a regular religion? I don't know. There must be a name for, um, you know, there's religions that are not as cult. They're not culty or they're not cults. They're just religions. Right, right. Well, sort of non-fundamentalist branches of most religions. Um, right. That's the word, right, non-fundamentalist kind of but things religion. But tra- things can transform over time depending on the leader, you know, and that's why it's, I, I still watch a lot of groups that are starting out that seem fine, but I just watch to see if they'll change over time, similar to you were mentioning with the, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid. That was Jim Jones. He started out as a street preacher, kind of an okay guy, and developed this following and the power went to his head. So you want to be able to still, at least I want to be able to still have, you know, my antenna up for a lot of groups but but if you are allowed to question and if you're allowed to disagree and if you're allowed to take what works for you and what's meaningful to you and what is right for you in your life and then leave the rest because it doesn't apply or in fact it might be even damaging or re-traumatizing and you're allowed to do that you're allowed to be an adult really um, and take what you want and not take other pieces that you've made a very conscious decision about not being helpful to you. 
and that you're also allowed to be done at some point if it's no longer helping or if it's hurting. Right. Um, I think then you are in something healthy. If if not, not. I think for some people, what really helps them in things like AA and other groups like it is the community, is having a sponsor, someone you talk to, someone who checks in with you, someone you know you can rely upon. That's a wonderful thing. And in this age of being more disengaged communally than I think is healthy for most of us, um, we do need that. But you shouldn't have to tolerate being mistreated. And you shouldn't have to tolerate being misdiagnosed. And you shouldn't have to tolerate being berated um, and have someone, you know, yell in your face and make their argument louder just because they don't know how to make it better. Um, yeah. Just so you can have that community. I know, and I've heard people talk about having sponsors that, you know, told them, you know, how to call and when to call. The Pacific Group is famous for that. You have to get up at 6 and you call these people. And I was like, you're kidding me. That's not AA. You know, I mean, for me, yeah. I had women, you call when you need to call. And I did have, you know, people, women that were really lovely women. And a lot of them in the last last 15, even 20 years shared their wisdom. That's it. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about AA. We didn't talk about mm-hmm. the 12 steps. They just were older women. One of them could have been my mom. The other one was maybe 10 years, 12 years older than me. And they just shared their and there were there were nice people, um, mm-hmm. but that the, I would say that is the lower percentage. There's a lot of bullying. A lot of what women who've come onto my sites, uh, you know, it's really crazy. I mean, bizarre. I, I'm like, wow, like that's really nuts. You know, telling what's your part in it after you've been raped and assaulted, and you know, you how dare you do this kind of stuff? I mean, that kind of talk is. I mean, they really need to be put in their place. I really, you know. I think a lot of people should go back and put some of these people in their place. They're outrageous. But, I mean, mm-hmm. that's not the point of having you on here today. <laughs> we're, we're getting close to the end. We have, like, two minutes. I'm going to have you on again, and I'd love to do a live show where we can tell people ahead of time that they can call in and ask questions to you. Um, anything else you want to – any tidbit you'd like to share with my listeners? Yeah. Um, and, again, thank you for having me on. And, and you know, my, my intention here is not to um, – label something a cult or not again to take any kind of side my my side is on the the side of um health of um psychological health right and is something that you're getting involved in or that you're already involved in supporting that um right. or is it doing something ironic without your consent for example with some people who have had bad experiences with aa um, is the group actually doing what the alcohol did? Is it taking away your power and control? Is it weakening your ability to defend yourself and be clear about your own feelings and thoughts? And if it is, that's the time to really reevaluate being involved. Wow. Well, everybody, there was somebody out there who was listening, and actually I told you um, a little bit of her story, and she just couldn't chat, but that um, everybody out there, I want to thank you all in the uh, Blog Talk Radio chat land in there for joining us today uh, and joining me today, that I've been here with uh, Rachel Bernstein, and you can reach Rachel at the 818-907-0036 number or go to rachelbernsteintherapy.com. 
Rachel, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I want to thank everybody out there for joining us. We're going to do it again. Uh, I'm Monica Richardson for Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery, and we will see you again next week. Thank you so much, Rachel. We'll have you on again soon. My pleasure. That sounds great. Okay. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Good. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.